ask you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and open it to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And this morning we are focusing in on the activity of God in the uh, birth of John the Baptist and the promise uh, that his birth rings true from. Luke chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 67, and we're going to be looking at Zechariah's prophecy that comes after he hears the promise of the angel and after the time where he is unable to speak or hear. We're talking about patience, and I need to remind us of the type of patience God is calling us to. He's not calling us to five-minute patience. He's not calling us to drive-through patience. He's calling us to extended patience over the course of years. In Luke chapter 1, we see this beautiful story, and I'm going to get to it in a second, but before we do, I want to share the context to it. In Luke chapter 1, Luke begins with the promise of John the Baptist's birth and what it would mean for the people. I want to read this to you. I'm going to ask you to stand a little bit later as we get to our, our main text. But this morning I want to start with, look in your Bibles at Luke chapter 1 verse 5. Here's the backdrop that we have to our text this morning. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Let us get that in our minds that he was in there offering up the, the offering of incense. And all of a sudden there's an angel of the Lord standing beside him. It might, it might freak some of us out to have that happen. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. I wonder what the prayer was. Oh, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this, for I'm an old man, don't ever say this. And my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent 
and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Fast forward, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing to God. And, he, and fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. What a scene. The promise from the angel. To Zechariah, you and your wife are going to have a child. His name is going to be called John, and he's going to be used mightily by God. And then John says, I'm struggling with this, and he didn't quite believe everything he was saying. He said, listen, we're old. This is going to be tough. And so Zechariah is made mute. He's unable to speak. And from what we see in the latter verses, he appears to be unable to hear as well. And then finally, after all the days were completed to where John is going to be born, we're told that immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke. Can you imagine for months being unable to speak or hear? And then all of a sudden, you can. You might have a few things on your mind. I wonder what Zechariah spoke after that long-awaited time. I'm glad you asked. I'm going to ask you to stand with me out of honor for God's word. And now we're going to read the text we'll be studying this morning. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, 
the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Heavenly Father, you obviously have a purpose for why you've given us these verses. And Father, I pray that we will see clearly that these verses are meant to point us to the beauty of Jesus and meant to show us that your uh, promises are true and patience is rewarded. And so, Father, as we study, help us to see that our patience is not in vain. But, God, you are a reliable king who we can trust. May we wait on you this morning, and may we trust in Christ alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Patience, waiting on God, these are difficult things to do. But can I remind you? that you're not alone in that. And in fact, the people of God had grown used to waiting and being patient. I don't know if I need to remind you that Luke chapter 1 is given to us and the readers of Luke chapter 1 were certainly waiting for something. In the time between the last of the Old Testament and the Gospels, we find the beginning of the New Testament. How much time has passed? How many years have gone by? We know that it's been at least 400 years since God has given a prophet of any kind or since God has spoken directly through his prophets to his people. 400 years. That means no matter how old you are this morning, you haven't even begun to glimpse how long the people of God had waited for him to move. All those promises God made to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Amos and Micah, all the promises God made to them. I'm going to send a deliverer. I'm going to send the king. I'm going to send the shepherd. They had been waiting, and for over 400 years, God hadn't said a word to them. You can imagine their patience was wearing thin. The questions must have been stirred up. Is God going to act? Or has he gone back on everything he promised? In comes Luke. In comes all the gospel writers. In come the authors of the New Testament by the empowering, equipping work of the Holy Spirit. And they declare to us this morning as they declared to those who they wrote to in the first century that God's promises are sure 
and patience is rewarded by God. And this is seen in two particular areas. First, it's seen in looking back at the Old Testament promises of a deliverer. And then it's seen by looking forward to the promise of the Messiah's return. And so this morning, I want to break it down as simply as I can that Zechariah, after all of these days of not being able to communicate, not being able to hear, his son is born, and all of a sudden he can hear, he can talk, and what flows out of his mouth is nothing less than worship of God. Seen in what he says first. We're told in verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So basically what, what Luke is telling us is that Zechariah is not speaking his own words. He's speaking what God wanted him to say. And what does God want Zechariah to communicate after all these years, after all these months of silence? Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. What does that mean? To bless God means what? It means to worship and glorify his name. To give praise to God above all others. What's the first thing out of Zechariah's mouth after all those days of not being able to communicate? What's on his lips as soon as he's able to speak is blessed be God. Why? Why does God alone deserve worship? I'm glad you asked. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, number one, for he has visited his people. See, filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah pronounces worship to God, the blessing that God deserves, and the reason why he deserves it. Reason number one, that God deserves ultimate praise, is because he has finally visited his people in a way that he had never done before. Throughout the Old Testament, God gave pictures or shadows of what he would ultimately do through the Messiah. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 3, God says that upon hearing the cries of his people for deliverance, he came down to deliver them. He came down to them. He visited them to deliver them out of the Egyptians' hands and to bring them up out of that land. Isaiah goes on to refer to the arm of the Lord, which comes down to rescue. Jeremiah refers to God visiting his people to bring them back out of exile. Do you notice that God visiting accompanies him, delivering them and rescuing them? When God visits, he does something. He's not just showing up to hang out. He's showing up to accomplish what he intends to accomplish. And just so you know, visiting in the Old Testament was a way of expressing God's concern for his people. He was so concerned that God himself would visit his people. Why does God deserve praise according to Zechariah? Because in the birth of John the Baptist and subsequently the birth of Jesus, guess what God was doing? 
He was visiting his people. That should blow our minds. That God, the eternal king of the universe, would want to attend and visit with people. Everyone give it up for my daughter, Cora. Thank you so much. Did mom tell you to do that? You're so obedient. Thank you for that. God has visited his people. And just so you know, we're going to see that the connection to the Exodus scene is intentional. Why does God deserve glory? Number one, because he has visited his people. Number two, he receives and deserves glory because God has redeemed his people. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and he has redeemed. The word redeemed means to deliver. Again, it echoes what we see in Exodus 3. Just as God delivered or redeemed his people out of Egypt, God promised one day that there was going to be a new exodus. And it would be greater than the one that Moses led. And he promised it throughout the prophets. Jeremiah 23, verse 7 and 8, Jeremiah writes and says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he has driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. What did Jeremiah promise? There was coming a day. When the people of God would no longer go. Remember what God did back in Exodus? Remember that? Wasn't that cool? How God delivered us from Egypt? Jeremiah says there's going to come a day when they're going to say, remember when God pulled us back out of exile from the north and the southern countries? Remember how God gathered us to himself and we dwell with him? There's going to come a day when the exodus from Egypt is going to be a shadow and the exodus from slavery to sin and the rescue of God ultimately of his people from the nations is going to be the reality. That they won't look back on the exodus under Moses anymore. They'll look back on the exodus under Jesus Christ. That day was coming, Jeremiah said. Jeremiah didn't get to see it with his own eyes in his physical life, but he knew it to be true and he believed it the idea of the exodus and the fact that the Messiah was going to be a greater deliverer is seen throughout the pages of the Old Testament. God deserves glory. He deserves worship because he visited his people, because he has redeemed his people. And number three, because he has raised up a horn of salvation for his people. Now, you may say, I have no idea what in the world that is talking about. You're not alone. We don't talk in this language much anymore of the horn of salvation. But it's very pictorial language. What does the horn represent? Well, it's Old Testament symbolic language for power. Animals tended to use their horns as a display of power. When God says, when, when Zechariah speaks of God raising up a horn of salvation, he's speaking of the power of God's rescue seen in Jesus Christ. 
Psalm 18.2, the psalmist writes and says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and get this, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. If you look at Isaiah 18 verse 2 and circled all the words that talk about power or strength, they're numerous. It was all a picture of God's power at work in rescuing his people, and Jesus Christ was the ultimate display of God's delivering power. This horn of salvation would be raised up, he tells us in verse 69, in the house of his servant David. So the Messiah was going to be connected to the house of David, David being the known king of God's people. So this Messiah was not only going to be a greater Moses, this Messiah was also going to be a greater David. He was going to be a greater king than David. Woo, this is this is big talk for Jewish people. Moses and David, those were the two main people. And to say that Jesus was going to be even greater than Moses and David should catch our attention. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6, Jeremiah points to this promise. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely, shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. God is worthy of praise because he has visited, he has redeemed. He has raised up the deliverer for his people, and all of this was according to the promises God made from the very, very beginning through the prophets that he spoke through. I mentioned to you that Isaiah stood some 700 to 750 years before Jesus would ever be born. Jeremiah spoke some 600 years before Jesus would ever arrive on the scene. Even Malachi, the closest prophet to Jesus, spoke some 450 years before Jesus Came. Can you imagine the patience of the prophets? Speaking of the deliverer they longed for, but dying before that event they searched and inquired carefully about would ever come. Surely questions arose in the heart of some. Has God turned his back? Has he forgotten about us? Has he changed his mind? But God gives this hymn of prophetic praise to Zechariah to show he is going to fulfill his promise of a deliverer. He hasn't forgotten or changed his mind. And he's going to, get this, he's going to use Zechariah's own son, John, to prepare the way for the one they've been waiting on for centuries upon centuries. Can you imagine Zechariah's mind as he tries to wrap it around the fact that his son, who shouldn't have been born by natural means, has arrived into the world and his son is going to be the prophet that prepares the way for the king they've been waiting for for centuries. That's a proud papa. That your son is going to fulfill the words of Isaiah and he's going to walk out before the Lord and he's going to prepare his way. Ooh. You want to know why praise is shooting out of the mouth of Zechariah? Because that God is so good that he's going to use his son to usher in the moment they have been waiting for forever. Oh, he deserves worship because of all those promises. In fact, 
you notice that these promises go even further back than that. Notice in verse 3, he says that there's a promise even made, verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father, who? Abraham. Who? So now Zechariah has not just told us about Moses, not just told us about David, but now he connects the Messiah all the way back to Abraham. And do you know what he's referring back to? Genesis chapter 12. God made a promise to Abraham, I will make your descendants great. All the families of the world will be blessed through you. So now Zechariah is even connecting Jesus coming and the prophecy and the prophetic work of John the Baptist, he's connecting it all the way back to Abraham. Does anybody have a clue of about how long ago we think Abraham lived? It is likely, according to the genealogies we see listed and the time frames we have, it is likely that Abraham lived somewhere around 2000 B.C. Moses lived somewhere around 1500 B.C. David lived somewhere around 1000 B.C. Folks, that's a long time ago. If you calculate it up, today we're looking back over 4,000 years to the promise God made to Abraham that day. Over 4,000 years of waiting for promises to be fulfilled. What the prophets had to wait for, we are able to see and yet we are still waiting today. And these promises go all the way back to Abraham himself. Just so you know, the Bible is not a bunch of unrelated stories that have just all been thrown together as life lessons for you to learn how to live life better. That is one story God is telling about how he's fulfilling the promise to rescue his people and to bless them through his own work. Oh, how beautiful that picture is. The holy covenant, the, the oath that God swore to Abraham to deliver them from their enemies, to serve him without fear, that is what God is bringing into existence through the work of Jesus Christ. So that we might serve him in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This is the promise of God that he's bringing. But just so you know, Zechariah is not only pointing backwards to the Old Testament prophecies. He's also looking forward to a future fulfillment of these promises. See, in Zechariah's day, they were finding out that the patient waiting for the promised deliverer is over. He is coming, he has arrived, and God is acting as he had never acted before. And all of that was because of the faithfulness, the love and mercy of God towards sinners like us. But just so you know, that patient waiting wasn't just for them, it's also for us. Look at verse 76. Zechariah goes on in his praise of God and says, You child, talking to his son, you child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. That had to be some proud proclamation from dad. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. 
because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. He was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. These promises of God are about to be played out before their eyes. And Zechariah's own child, he says, will be called the prophet of the Most High. As God had spoken through the prophets of old, he was now going to speak even through his own son. And we're told that this will be seen in John the Baptist going before the Lord to prepare his ways. Isaiah prophesies about the herald, the one who would come in Isaiah chapter 40. He says this in verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. We see that promise of Isaiah being fulfilled in John the Baptist. And we even see it directly applied in Luke 3 as we're told that John the Baptist went into all the region around the Jordan. And he was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. God uses the proclaiming of John the Baptist to give knowledge of salvation, he says, to the people. This is unprecedented, that the forgiveness of sins would be brought by a new deliverer. That's why we desperately needed Jesus, is because bulls and goats and sacrifices of animals could never accomplish what Jesus would accomplish. And I want you to notice this. Verse 78, what do we attribute this work of God to? Because of the tender mercy of our God. See, no one in the room this morning, as great as y'all are, and as nice as y'all look, no one in the room this morning deserves the forgiveness of God. No one in this room has earned the forgiveness of God. If you are going to be saved this morning, it's going to only be because God was tenderly merciful to you. That he sent his son to die for you in your place who rose again from the grave to show his power over sin, Satan, and death. And that was brought not because you deserved it, but because God is just that merciful. See, we can echo very well what God says even about the Israelites. He tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 35, he says, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is none other besides him. And the reason God showed them that was not because of their own greatness, but simply because of the mercy of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 7 and 8, Moses writes and says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did God rescue the Israelites? It wasn't because they were great. It wasn't because they were so cute. It wasn't because they had tried their hardest. God rescued them to simply show he's that kind of God. He loves and he cares and he's merciful even when we don't deserve it. That's why Zechariah is praising God. You deserve glory, oh God, because 
you have visited us, you have redeemed us, and you have raised up the horn of salvation for us. Every single one of us sitting here this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have every reason to worship God forever because he tenderly had mercy on you and he sent his son to die in your place. Oh, the good, that's what Christmas is about, y'all. That's what it's about. It's about the tender mercy of God being poured out before us. But just so you know, the patience didn't wait there. Today, we patiently are waiting for his triumphant return. We are waiting for Jesus to come again to usher in his kingdom finally and completely. And that's what the New Testament focuses us in on. In fact, when you look at the New Testament and you look at all of the, uh, the references to waiting in the New Testament, most of them are centered around what? What do you think is the number one thing that waiting is centered around when it comes to New Testament writing? The return of Jesus. Don't believe me? When you get home, read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Read Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Read James chapter 5, verse 7. Read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Every one of them says, we wait, we wait, we wait on the revealing of Jesus Christ again. And all of it seems to be centered around the fact that when Jesus comes again, you know what's happening finally and definitively? New resurrection bodies ready to worship God forever. Woo, folks. The prophets were waiting for Jesus to come. Jesus came, died, fulfilled all the promises that God had made to rescue his people. Today, we are still waiting patiently, but we're not waiting for Jesus to die. He's already done it, and he doesn't have to do it again. He satisfied everything God intended for him, the Father intended for him to satisfy. What we're waiting on is that new body that Jesus promises that will allow us to worship him, praise him, serve him, work for him, enjoy him for the rest of all time. Christmas should remind us that that's why we're here today. It's because he saved us, and one day he's ultimately going to remove every bit of sin, and we will dwell with him perfectly forever. That is good news. And my hope is every single one of you is trusting in Jesus. And if you're not, today is the day. Today is the day to see that you don't deserve the rescue of God. You don't deserve the mercy of God. But yet God has been so tenderly merciful to you that he sent his own son who would come and die in your place. And if you were to trust in his finished work alone, you might find the forgiveness of your sins. That thing which John the Baptist was proclaiming out in the wilderness. Guess what? Today we're proclaiming the exact same thing except instead of waiting for it to happen, we proclaim to you it is done Jesus has accomplished all that the father has called him to do in eradicating sin and one day he's going to culminate it all in his return and I pray that through this season 
while you're having fun with family and you're getting some gifts and you're spending time eating some good food and taking time off work, I hope that you'll realize that we are still, as Christians, patiently waiting for our king to come back. And just so you know, he is coming back. This morning, may we be found worshiping and praising and trusting in this Jesus alone. If you're not, talk to me after service is over. I'm happy to share with you about what that looks like and to walk through it carefully with you. I'm happy to do that. But don't leave here today guessing. Leave here today knowing whether you're trusting in him or not. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. And I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the time to be able to spend in your word. And Father, I would ask you today to help us to glorify you and to give you the praise that you alone deserve. And Father, your word speaks of the necessity of patience. And God, that's really hard sometimes. But I know that you are faithful to your promises. And so our patience is not in vain. Just as the Old Testament prophets waited patiently for Jesus to come, so today we wait patiently for him to come again. And God, we trust you that you are accomplishing the work that you set out from the beginning of time to rescue your people and to deliver us from our sin. And Father, I pray this morning that if there is anyone in the room who is trying to earn forgiveness, who is trying to earn their way to you, I pray, God, you will show them as clearly as possible that there is no way that they can do enough good deeds in order to erase the penalty that is due sin. And God, you're not asking them to. You're calling on them to trust in the work of Jesus on the cross in their place. And so, Father, today, may you save people from their sin. May you show them your tender mercy through Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you will ransom souls as only you can. Father, may you draw us to depend and trust in Jesus' work alone. And Father, for Christians in the room, help us to wait patiently, knowing that our waiting is not in vain. But God, you are faithful to your promises, and we wait knowing that your Son is coming again. And when he does, we will dwell forever in your presence, giving you praise in new bodies that you have given us so that you might receive eternal praise. Father, I ask you to help us to be patient when it's hard to be patient. Help us to trust when it's hard to trust so that we might depend on you and glorify your name in a world that does not know you. Father, may we shine as lights in darkness through Jesus Christ. Father, you deserve blessing. This morning, blessed be God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. May he, may you receive glory forever. Father, as we respond to you, help us to respond trusting and help us to respond according to your word. We ask you to do all of this so that you might receive more praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.